Good morning. How's your weekend going? Good. Glad to have you here. Welcome to Portico Church, Arlington. My name's Jason. Uh, it's our privilege to open up the Word of God with you today. We're in Philippians 1, chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. So if you have a Bible, put your thumb there, open it up. We have some in the back as well if you need to use a Bible. Um, please feel free to go grab that at any time. Um, maybe you're here and you don't believe. I want you to know that you're welcome. Um, every single person that calls themselves a believer here today has either come from a position of skepticism or doubt or unbelief. So you're in a crowd of people who weren't born believing. We were taught, we understood, and you're in a community that can do that. So I encourage you to get your questions answered, and, and as uh, Pastor Reeves said, push into that. Let, learn what's going on. Um, actually assume that God is here and has something for you. So um, last Thursday was June 6th, and it was the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Um, I promise you, you weren't alive then. Um, even I wasn't. But the reason I mention that is because D-Day is a shared experience that you have as an American. And even if you're not an American, if you're here and you're working and you're living and you're in our community and our nation, it's an experience that you share. Uh, it has affected your life. Maybe you don't know much about it. Um, but the reason I mention that today is two reasons. One is because probably half of our church um, is either directly in the military, in the intelligence community, or works for a company that serves them. So we're heavily invested in that, A. Uh, and B, it was just, it's something that communicates the gospel in a way that nothing else does. Put it this way. Was it worth it? You know how many people died that day? And if you're unfamiliar with D-Day, it's when it's a huge amphibious assault uh, where we entered with Canada and the UK. I think Australia was there and some other nations. We hit Omaha Beach, Utah Beach, the coast of France, and our goal was singular. We wanted to open up a lane for troops and supplies to stop the, the overrun of France by Germany and then move into Western Europe. That was a singular goal. America lost 2,500 soldiers that day. It was a train wreck. It was an absolute disaster, but the simple goal of taking the beach worked. There's a movie called Saving Private Ryan. I don't usually talk about movies. Um, it's my favorite movie, right next to Endgame. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> if you haven't seen this movie, I'm going to recommend it. It was made by Steven Spielberg in 1998. I'm going to ruin the end. You should know how it ends if you know anything about history. Uh, but let me tell you just a little bit about that. And I'm telling you, just like what happened on D-Day, this film has some blatant theological weight to it that you cannot turn away from. I don't care what your worldview is. And if you know the story a little bit, it's about um, Tom Hanks plays Captain Miller, uh, and he gets assigned this ridiculous assignment of going behind enemy lines after being a part of the D-Day invasion, and he has to take his troops way into enemy lines, and he has to find this little dude called Private Ryan, played by Matt Damon, so, you know, sorry, watch it anyway, um, but he has to go back there and find him, and here's why. All three of, of his brothers, Private Ryan, have been killed. And there was a, a policy that if that happens, you go get the last brother so that the family doesn't lose all their kids. So this is his mission, and he goes in with his team. 
And one of the things you see out of this, because they get battered, they lose people trying to find Private Ryan. One of the things that you see is the cost of redemption is absolutely overwhelming, and it's violent. The cost of freedom is violent. That's one of the things that is a huge theme of Private Ryan, and you see it. And here's the question that walks through the whole movie from the beginning to end. Was it really worth it? Not it. Was Private Ryan really worth it? They get in fights. They almost stop the mission. And they start to lose people. Was Private, was losing soldiers worth going in to find Private Ryan? Here's what you need to hear from this because it goes to our text. Grace is irrational. Grace is unstable. Grace is unfair. It's asymmetrical. It is not worth the cost. That is the point of grace. It's violent. And you even see this, this weight when they find Private Ryan. He's like, why me? What have, what have I done or what am I going to do that makes your sacrifice worth it? One of the key points in the movie is when they're in a heated battle at the very end of the movie and Captain Miller, Tom Hanks, is on this bridge dying, trying to hold this bridge and he's got Ryan right with him and he's dying. And one of the last things he says to him is, earn it, earn this. We paid a cost for you, Ryan. Go live your life and earn it. And when you watch the movie, you're like, yeah, man, go earn it. But he couldn't get over that. Imagine that. Earn it. How do you earn something like that? So we've been walking through Philippians. And we've learned from the Apostle Paul that he saw his story, even though it ended, the arc of his life is wrapped up into the story of Christ. And we learned last week that Paul's deepest conviction is this. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. So much so that I will give my life, right? I will spend my life for your progress and your joy in the gospel. This is how he sees his life. And now we hear Paul make one ask of the Philippians. One ask. Here's what he says. Only this. Let your life be worthy of of the gospel. Just this one thing. Live your life worthy of the gospel. Now we need to know what that means because it sounds a lot like Captain Miller saying, earn it. Earn this. See, when you look at the terrible glory of the cross, when you look at it, when you look at the carnage of it, you will ask yourself a question. So go ahead and ask it. I think you're probably afraid to. Was I worth it? Has my life panned out so that Jesus isn't like, good grief. Did I waste it? Are you worth it? Because if you don't understand how to answer that question, you will experience grace as a burden. It will not be a blessing in your life. It cannot be a blessing in your life if you don't understand how to answer that question. So, Let's jump in. There's more to it than just what the Apostle Paul said. There's a story here, right? We want to understand our stories as they pertain to the gospel. So let's jump in. This is chapter 1 of Philippians. 
We're going to start in verse 27 with these heavy words. Ready? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. See, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning because these words are dangerous. And they're necessary, and they're powerful, and they're beautiful. And you have invested every word of this scripture with yourself. So our prayer this morning is as we open this up, by your grace and your mercy, is you would open us up and let this word read us and help us to answer this question. We thank you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. This is just an easy text. What does it mean? You're to live your life worthy of the gospel. But what does he mean by saying that? The call is live your life. We are to live our lives worthy of the gospel. Here's three ways that he shows us very clearly in what that means. First is that we must stand together. Now, when you think about your worth and your worthiness, you instantly think inward. Me, me, me. He pushes it out. He talks about the community, the church of God in Philippi that was struggling with conflict. Most of it external, but some of it internal. So if you're to live your life worthy of the gospel, you're going to have to first stand together. Secondly, we must strive together for what will get there. And thirdly, we're going to suffer together. Can, can you just feel the beauty in that? If you're going to live your life worthy of the gospel, you are not going to do it on your own. And if you try, you won't finish. So live worthy of the gospel. Let's, would you walk through this with me? First, stand together. Verse 27. Let's just go there again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul's dying. He expects not to get out of jail. I don't believe he expects he's going to ever see the Philippians, regardless of what he says. And even if he does, he knows there's a good chance that he won't. Most people that get themselves in a Roman prison do not exit or do not exit um, with even the ability to do anything after that. It was pretty violent. So he's there. And is he telling them, earn this? Right? In a way, he's encouraging them and preparing them for his absence. And this is hard for them. This is 10 years after he planted this church. And everybody knew that it was the work of God. All right, stand together. Well, what are we standing on? You had to stand on the gospel. He uses that word like 15 times in the Philippian. What does it mean? Listen, living worthy of the gospel begins here. You must realize that you and I are unworthy recipients of God's grace. There's more. You have to believe that. Listen, if you demand that you will find your worth 
in the words of others, if you will find your worth in your own work, if you will find your worth in your ability and your opportunity to express your innermost sincere desires, if you find your worth there, grace is going to be violent to you. I'm just going to tell you that right now. You cannot hold on to your worth in Christ and also try to find it somewhere else. It will feel like war. It will feel violent because it is. So this is not this. If you show yourself worthy of God's love, he will bless you. That is not what the gospel says. This is not what the apostle Paul says. This is not, hey, God gives grace to those who deserve it. That doesn't make sense. Because grace is what you don't deserve. It's unmerited favor. And it's not this. God just gives grace to those who need it because he's just good. No, no, no. God freely gives grace to those who will turn from their sin and trust in him, period. Period. That's what the gospel is. And grace never pushes away our sin or lowers the standard. Never does. Grace keeps the standard at God's standard and then fully meets it for you, for me. Hear that. If you've never understood the gospel, if you believe that the gospel is a set of ideas or philosophies that you believe and live by, and thereby God thinks you're a good person, you're not understanding it, right? God's grace meets the standard for you. Your righteousness or your rightness before God is out of his intense love for you, and he's earned it for you, period, period. So we stand here. First, we stand together on the gospel, if we were going to live our lives worthy of the gospel, first we have to understand it. That our righteousness does not come from our works. Our worth does not come from what we do or our works or anybody else's words or our own words or how we even feel about ourselves. Now that can, affect, that can affect how we feel about ourselves and our perceived worth, but that's not where we get it. See, the gospel understood and received properly gives you courage. Because you have freedom. You have the freedom to live in the power of the gospel because it's come to you as a gift. Faith receives it. It's the open hand that receives it. And it it also gives you humility. And you are never going to see yourself above anyone, period. Because your salvation is by grace completely. My worth comes from God completely, not mostly. So, yes, stand together in the gospel and we stand as citizens. Know this, right? You're part of a church. That's great. Um, but more than anything, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Verse 27, again, says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That word life is really a verb. And what it means is citizenship. So the t- maybe even your Bible says this. Live your life as a worthy citizen or as a citizen that is worthy of the kingdom of God or the gospel of Jesus Christ. Later, he pulls in the same style of word in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we wait from it a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is particularly relevant to us, but also the Philippian church. Remember, Philippi is a Roman colony. They have the the retired generals and, and those who are very much Roman citizens retiring in this area, and they have had the best that Rome had to offer, and they are still citizens. So they love to exercise their privileges as a Roman, and that's good. So when they're saying, you know, we have another king, his name is Jesus. In fact, Paul's saying, your citizenship is primarily not in Rome. It's in Christ. 
right? He is the kingdom. So if you're going to exercise your privileges as a disciple of Jesus or being a part of the kingdom of God, it's going to take more resources than you have. Look around you. Jesus kind of picks up on this. Um, Remember in Matthew 12 when Jesus' family is looking for him and they kind of think he's crazy? And the crowd's like, hey, your mom and brothers and stuff are here. And Jesus said, you know what? Stretching out his hand, said, here's my mom and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God of my Father of heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus single-handedly redefines what family means. It's not DNA. It's a shared experience of the Spirit of God. Right? So we are standing in the gospel. We are citizens first, and we stand firm. I love this word. So that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear that you're standing firm. That's military terminology. You know what that means? Take and hold. That means do not let go of the gospel. Do not try to find your worth in anything else. Do not let anyone in your pack, in your church, in your circle, let go of the gospel. Don't do it. Stand firm together. You're going to need them. They're going to need you. This, this is unity. This is the essence of unity. Stand firm here. Do not give up ground here. Everything in this world will be pulling you away and saying, hey, the gospel's good, but it's not that good. It's not necessary, is it? Do we have to listen to everything scripture says? Come on, man. Pull it back a little bit, Christian. No, do not pull it back a little bit. You need to stand firm, finding your worth in Christ. I had a friend, an old friend of mine call me up this week, actually text me out of the blue, and said, dude, I'm going to hurt somebody. I'm at work. They're driving me crazy. You need to pray for me now because my attitude is going down quick. That's, that's it. That's what they're talking about. That's what the Apostle Paul's t- stand firm. So I didn't say stand firm. What I said was, whoa, you know what? If I were in your place, I probably would have already done that. But let me pray for you right now. Let me do battle in the heavenlies right now. Hey, you're going you're gonna to get off work in four hours. This is not your life. Your life is Christ. Let's go there. And it, it, it actually works. When you pray, God hears you. Just like we sing as though God is right here, we pray as though God hears and he moves. And he did in that person's life. So check your disciplines, man. You might be so disciplined in how you eat and how you work out um, and how you work. How disciplined are you in standing firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ? How disciplined are you in listening to those that are encouraging you and exhorting you? How disciplined are you in knowing the Lord who loves you? Are you disciplined there? Are you standing firm? Does that matter? It matters. Stand firm there. So, yes, live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, we stand together. But when's the last time somebody in this body, when's the last time God used somebody to save you? I just ask you that. You are in deep need, and God used somebody here to give you what you needed. If that hasn't happened, that's a problem. I'm just going to tell you I, you, I love this church. It's happened to me. You know, like, people are not afraid to tell me. That's good. I love it. Kind of. But usually, maybe the reason you don't hear that is because you pull back. Right? We understand. Like, oh, no, you really can't say anything to that person because they'll lose their mind or they'll just stop coming. 
right? Are you pulling back? All right, secondly, you strive together. What holds this body together? Is it this building? Hope not. Is it the fact that we kind of look alike? Sort of. Hope not. Is it we have the same politics? Probably not. What holds this church together? We strive together. Standing firm in one spirit. Here it is. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened by anything in your opponents. We strive together. First in one spirit with one mind. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, holds this whole thing together. What holds us together is we have a shared experience by exercising faith over and over and over. And the Spirit of God makes the work of Jesus real in your life as you choose to believe and as you choose to strive together with the people that are around you walking out this truth. So one Spirit, God's indwelling Spirit, not just for you personally, but among us. And this experience of the gospel becomes real as we push into it. How? Well, first the Spirit creates one new people, makes you God's children, and we are different. Here's the logic, Romans 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's God making the work of Christ real in you. Secondly, uh, Ephesians 2.14, you know this one. For he, that is Jesus, is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There's nothing that you have with anyone in this room, either culturally, socially, economically, even politically, that can keep you from being brothers and sisters in Christ if you are serious about standing in the gospel and striving together. The Spirit does that. And and going on in Ephesians chapter 2, for through him we both, that's all of us, have access in one spirit to the Father. Just like the song said, he's a good father and I'm loved. He's a good father and we're loved. And we have access to the Father in Christ through the Spirit of God. So we strive together in one spirit with one mind into one goal. Here we go. What is it? We want to see the gospel advance. If you're serious about the gospel advancing in your life, taking new territory in your life and through your life, I guarantee you, you will experience conflict over and over and over and over. There's no way to follow the crucified king, the risen king, and not experience conflict. Jesus said this. We're not making it up. Paul is experiencing it. The Philippian church is experiencing it. So you you have to understand that. Um, Striving for one goal. Let me just ask you this. How effective have you been on your own, or do you think you would be on your own? To make the gospel known through hospitality. Just on your own. Just you. You're not going to last. How effective will you be in communicating the gospel to your neighbors and coworkers? On your own. Don't bother. How, in fact, how effective do you think you'll be on your own overcoming the deep-seated fear that the conflict of holding tight to the gospel brings to you? Both externally and internally. You won't. 
If we do not strive together, we do not strive at all. Um, you have seen, do you have the Nature Channel? No? Okay. Well, I watched it once, and back in my day, they had National Geographic for free on TV, but now we have to pay more. One of the reasons is there's a sick thing that happens on the Nature Channel. We get to watch, like, these beautiful gazelles out there, like, just, you know, the music's playing, na, 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 na. They're just eating grass, and, like, then you're, like, you look through, and there's, like, looking through the weeds, there's a lioness or something like that. And the narrator is just, who always gets taken down in the pack every time? Who is it? Who? The slowest one? Maybe. Maybe the baby, but not always. Who gets taken down in the pack? The one that's by himself. The one that's like, man, this grass is good over here. You guys are missing it. And he's just wandering over. He's keeping his eye on him, but he's over here. Boom, he's gone. Just like that. Every single time. When you wander from the pack, when you're grazing outside of the pack, you lose every single time. You are not striving together. You are not listening to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you have an enemy. And you will be taken out. So living worthy of the gospel means we have to strive together. Where, where do you graze? Hey, let me, give you, let me give you some encouragement. If you've had a couple of gazelles come up to you and say, what are you doing? You're grazing in the wrong, wrong field. Be warned. God does not do that lightly. Be warned. If you have somebody in the pack, somebody in the church, Christians coming up saying, Ah, and you know how hard it is for our church to do anything that causes conflict, which I'm thankful for, but sometimes it needs to happen. Hey, you're not walking in step with the gospel. You're, you're, you're over where, come back to the middle of the pack, you're weak. Listen to them. Be warned. Be warned, right? We've got to strive together. And we also, if we're going to live worthy of the gospel, you've got to suffer together. So suffering has a really intense connotation, and it's true. Let, hold that for a minute. Let's bring it down to a starting point. Are you willing to experience loss because of the gospel? We experience loss of time, loss of money, loss of friends. Will you engage in actual conflict with other brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it worth it to you? Here's the big one. Will you lose comfort? And even more than that, will you let go of your preferences? You know what kills churches? Nobody's willing to let go of their preferences. You know how many times I've heard from people um, on both sides, your church is too diverse and your church isn't diverse enough. And so therefore I'm going to go somewhere else. For either reason, you're committed to your preferences. You're not committed to what the work of God is. So you'll go somewhere else and get tired and go somewhere else and get tired. Um, you now we strive to get, wherever God puts you, he doesn't get it wrong. And if it's not here, go somewhere else, right? Where you can thrive. You've got to thrive with your people. Um, we've got to suffer together. Verse 29. This is crazy. Listen to it. For it has been granted to you. you know what that means? This is a gift of blessing from God. It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Loss is a gift. 
Suffering is a gift? Hmm. Suffering is evil. Suffering in and of itself destroys you. It isolates you. It harms you. It's bad. It's the result of sin. It's evil. Here's what suffering is also not. Suffering is not a sign that God is abandoning you. And most of you believe that. Suffering is not a sign that your story is ended. Suffering is a sign that God stands with you. And if you're in a church that believes that, you will feel the effects of that in your suffering. You will not be given over to fear, either from external things or internal things. And Paul says that that the lack of fear is a sign. It's a sign to those who oppose the gospel that destruction is coming for you. But it's a sign for you that suffer in the gospel. You head the right direction. He's got you. It's a sign of your salvation. Because as the Apostle Paul knows, and this church is learning, circumstances, including suffering, must submit to God's good, loving purpose for your life, which is shaping you and making you into the image of his son. I didn't sign up for that, then you didn't sign up for the gospel. And you should sign up for it. Um, Some of you were at the India Outreach Dinner last week. I keep talking about it because I loved it. Um, But you know we have a relationship with Bethel Gospel Church in India. They have a huge orphanage. They care for over 200 orphans across all their churches. And Mary Priscilla, who pretty much runs all of that, came and we had a little bit of Q&A at the end and somebody asked her this really brilliant question said hey what's the biggest obstacle for the gospel to move forward in India and you know I'm thinking like all kinds of big ideas and she didn't hesitate she's like oh I'll tell you Um, if you're a woman and you come to Christ you lose everything oh what do you mean you lose your kids lose your family you could lose your kids you could lose your family you could be kicked out of your neighborhood if you're a Muslim and you come to Christ you lose everything you could lose your job. You could lose your family. You, you get in with loss. If you're baptized publicly, you could lose everything. Would you come to Christ if it meant that? Well, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake in the gospel who will not receive. We read that and we're like, oh, that's nice, Jesus. Everything we lose for the gospel, you'll give us back someday. (laughs) Oh, no, they're losing it right now. Right now. Does the gospel have that kind of weight in your life? How does God fulfill that promise to take away fear and to give? Well, look around. You're it. (laughs) you're it that's why Bethel Gospel Church works because they do not fear that they do not fear the opposition they fear God alone and that church if a woman loses that they will come around her or anyone and they are like no we'll, we'll help you make peace with your family and try to explain it and we'll do anything right to help you with that but man if you if you get pushed out like we're your people period 
that is suffering together. Listen to the dying words of Jesus, not Captain Miller. He's hanging between heaven and earth. This is out of John 19. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, earn this. Is that what he said? No. This is what Jesus said. Hear it, because it makes all the difference. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Oh, friend, that is a better word than earn this. It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He stood, he strived, he suffered to the end without us, right? We all ran away. He did it on his own for us, for us. It is finished. You will never earn it. He's done it. You will find your worth in this. His love for you is so intense and so real that he suffers the cross, overcomes death. If you turn from sin and trust in him, you will find a worth you never knew you had. You will find a glory that you didn't know existed. You will find abundant life that you've only heard about, that you've only dreamed about. It is finished. Can you live in that? Can we live in that? You see, the movie ends in Normandy, like it started. But it's at a cemetery now. And Private Ryan is old, and he's there with his family, and there's kids and grandkids, and he's kind of kneeling at this cross, which I presume is uh, Captain Miller. You know what he said? Man, this hurts. I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope it was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes... I've earned what all of you have done for me. You feel that, don't you? It's finished. Receive the good gift of grace. It's finished. Jesus has earned this for you. And he turns to his wife and says, tell me I'm a good man. And she says, oh, you are. But they're empty the sense you get at the end of the movie is that Private Ryan really wasn't saved. Is salvation really that free? Friend, it is only that free. If you're trying to find salvation through your work or in any way that you play a part of it, you're going to miss it. It can only be that free. Jesus has lived it. He's died. He's bore the wrath. He's resurrected. He's, he's proved God receives it. So, living your story means this. You need to learn to live your life worthy of the gospel. You need to learn to stand in it, right? Stand together. You need to learn to strive together and suffer together. We do this together. I think it's brilliant that this is where the Apostle Paul goes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if we're going to do this, the gospel is always about love. We will be an open, welcoming, loving community, period. The gospel is about justice. It's going to matter to us. Justice will matter to us both in our church, in our body, in our city, in our nation, in our world. The gospel is about new life. If you come to worship dragging in, you had better feel God here. You had better join in with his kids as we abundantly and joyfully praise him. The gospel is about freedom, but not the freedom to make provision for your flesh 
It's the freedom to walk and step with the Spirit of God and encourage everyone to do the same. The gospel is about humility. Do not find your worth in you. There's not enough there. And the gospel is about Jesus. That's who we're about. That's what it means to live your life worthy of the gospel. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Your love for us is just overwhelming. It's violent. It is unceasing. And it is powerful. Lord Jesus, I pray that if we have seen it as anything other than you pulling us from death because we are the absolute object of your affection, that we would repent from that. We would turn to you, turn away from sin, turn away from finding worth elsewhere and find it in your love for us. In the name of Jesus, amen.